listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. To win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A king follows. Toy branch fires. She converts. Rhymes again. Up shot. Oh, it's Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says, not tonight, not in Houston. another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma presented by Apollo Houston, your home for all things Houston hoops and really home for all things Houston sports. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Yanez and you can find me on Twitter at Ayanez underscore five and I cover the University of Houston men's basketball team for the Daily Cougar. And I'm your second host. Uh, my name is Greg Goods and um, you can find me on Twitter at the egg Greg, um, T-H-E-E-G-G-G-R-E-G. And I cover the women's uh, basketball team, women's uh, University of Houston basketball team. And to be sure to follow us on um, our official Apollo Houston page at Apollo HOU. And I'm your third and final host, Tamer Knight. And you can find me on Twitter at T Knight Sports. And if you could, if you appreciate the podcast, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. We will greatly appreciate it. And Tamer, Greg, Coming, joining us again for our NTA tournament run, Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on again. Yeah, for sure. We have a lot to discuss um, from the NCAA tournament as a whole and, and when it comes to Houston. But, I mean, let's jump right into it. Coming off last Sunday, uh, the round of 32 between Houston and Rutgers. What a crazy game. Houston had a double-digit deficit in the second half, and really it, it, it kind of looked there for a, a good portion of the stretch where the season might be coming at 10 end for the Cougars. And they ended the game on a 14-2 run, closed it out by scoring the final seven points. And obviously, Tremont Mark with the tip-in, Dejan Giroux, the big story heading into the game, and really the big story throughout the whole game with his injured hip pointer. Chris, and really all of us, what were your biggest takeaways from that game between Houston and Rutgers? I'll go first if I can. As, as the oldest of the uh, foursome here, <laughs> I, I think, um, and some of my friends who are also UVH alums, they were all texting me, here we go again. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. It's over. It was a good run. <laughs> all those things. And then those last four minutes, these uh, this year's Houston Cougars find a way to win. And that's the bottom line. Didn't play great, but they found a way to win. And I think we heard Kevin Sampson uh, mention that in his post-game uh, conference where he said, you know, unfortunately someone has to lose the game. And, you know, sometimes one team does play better than the other. And I think he admitted that they played better than them that game, but they still were able to, you know, pull off that win with the touchback from Trayvon Mark. Yeah, Um like I said, like to piggyback off some, you know, Kelvin Simpson said, you know, Houston refused to lose that night and, and it showed in, in their intensity throughout and they just didn't give up. So it was a, it was a great effort by, by Houston, um, but it was a definitely a great, uh, at least a good 28 to 30 minutes of basketball by Rutgers as well. That's up to them. 
Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me the most watching that game was how well Rutgers did initially at, at really limiting Houston when it comes to rebounds. And, and that's something that Kelvin Sampson has talked about since that game, how when it comes to Syracuse, that's something they're going to have to really focus on, those second, third chance. Uh, they called it unscripted points, but obviously, you know, the second chance points and lose boss and stuff like that were really changed for me was when Dejon Giroux kind of came back around, I believe it was around the six-minute mark, and he toughed it out to the so the game ended. But that's kind of where the game really shifted. It was a nine-point game until, like, hovering around that time until Dejon came back. So, Chris, can you talk a little bit about what you saw from Dejon in that game? He was their best player. He was their most important player. It was obvious he was in a lot of pain. Um, it was obvious the team really – Missed his presence when he was out of the game. The offense just really bogged down a great deal. And Marcus Sasser really, really struggled. Not just to make shots. He passed up shots. He was fighting himself for almost 38 minutes, 39 minutes of the ball game. But that last minute or two, he finally seemed to calm down, got that key steal, and he made the free throws to uh, for the final two points of the game. So, Marcus Sasser, hopefully those last two minutes will be the Marcus Sasser that plays against Syracuse. <laughs> Let me hop in there real quick. And we, we were kind of talking about that, Chris, throughout the game where, you know, it just it, it seemed like something was off with Marcus Sasser. We, obviously, we couldn't – we can't tell what was going on inside his head or it was just, you know, a rough game for him. Uh, but I, I think it, it, it kind of tells you something about – I wouldn't maybe his character, if that's the right word. I don't think that's the right word, but for lack of a better word, I'm going to use character, but I guess it's poise. You know, he had to knock down those two free throws at the end of the game and he, he hit both of them despite the, the bad game he had for the other, really the rest of the 39 minutes. And that made it a three point game. Did, did you kind of get a sense from that as well, watching that or how things unfolded at the end of the game? He really was pressing throughout the game. And it seemed like, he tried to do too much to help out and fill the uh, gaps of void with Dejan struggling and being in pain. But Dejan did a lot of things. He shot the ball, made a clutch three during that comeback run, the 14-2 run. Marcus really, and I th- I'm going to go with character with what you said, Andy, because he was out of character. Mm-hmm. He missed a couple of shots, and he, he showed frustration on the floor. He doesn't do that. You know, it was af- yeah. it was as if Jacob Young playing well got to him. And hey, if, if your opponent plays well, it makes a tough shot. You tip your hat, keep on going. You can't lose focus like that. Yeah, I saw that. We talked about it. it you, you could see the frustration on his face, and even on his play on the court when he threw that pass. I believe it was to Fabian White, and Rutgers wasn't necessarily. They were having some full court pressure, but it wasn't anything to. I mean, he kind of threw it into the sidelines when he was trying to pass it to Fabian. And that, pa- that pass, we, we, the four of us, had a, a good chance of catching that pass as Fabian did. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just it kind of si- simple, signified the type of night that the Cougars were having. And honestly, what, uh, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I believe it was towards the second half when Dejan Giroux kind of ran through or he tried to run through a screen. He kind of got laid down. He had to. He laid on the on the floor for a little bit, and I don't remember what Rutgers player it was, but it it ended up being a three for them. I think that put them Jill up by Baker. ten. Jill yeah. Baker. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dejan went out of the game, and and obviously he was, you could tell he was in pain, and he was getting work done. But I think when I when I saw that, I I thought that was like the final nail in the coffin. It it seemed like everything was in favor of Rutgers at that point. It, I mean, there were a lot of signs that second half that it seemed like it was over, that the season was going to end. But things changed when and it, and then they missed free throws too, which made the comeback take even longer. But Things changed when Quinn Grimes missed his two free throws, yeah. but they got the offense rebound and then he made a three pointer. And that, then I think everybody kind of like, okay, we still got a chance. We can get this done. Yeah. And you know, one of you just mentioned Quentin Grimes, Greg or Tamer, you, one of you two could hop on, but what do you think about Quentin Grimes' performance? Man, with, with Quentin Grimes, just overall, just seeing his overall development from, just this season alone, you can see the, the leadership role that he's been able to do and and, and be able to just navigate and, and create his own shot. Um, he's definitely been, you know, 1A to 1B when it comes with either him or Dejan Giroux when it comes to leading this team or when it comes to, you know, at, at least the offensive game uh, from that standpoint. So just, just him being reluctant and being relentless and still getting boards and, and still doing everything he needs to do um, and not just necessarily looking at the scoreboard all the time, but hats off to him as well. Um, definitely proud of his performance. Great performance by him today um, during the Rutgers game. Tamer, you got the last word. Was there something that stood out to you uh, from Sunday's game? Uh, just the, the fight and tenacity um, from the, the Cougars as a whole. I, I know you guys are talking a little bit about um, Quentin Grimes, but for me, I just see it as a team effort. And I remember hearing Dejon Jarrell say um, in his interview that he just wasn't ready going to go home or he wasn't going home. And so I think um, that showed in that last uh, three or four minutes of that game. And, I mean, what an impeccable play by Traymond Mark. And I'm really excited to see – if the Cougars uh, will get to go past the Sweet 16. Well, not to jump ahead, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second, but I think this matchup against Syracuse is going to be an interesting one. And before we jump into the, the Syracuse preview, Chris, I wanted to ask you about Fabian White. Uh, uh, I believe it was after Dejon left, or it might have been the first, it was during that stretch, or when Dejon left, Fabian White hit, I believe it was like a hook shot. He was surrounded by a few Rutgers players in the paint, and he followed that up with a three-pointer straightaway uh, with no hesitation. What, 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 did that stand out to you when you when that happened, and what are your thoughts on that? That shot was huge. Fabian took the shot. He, he seemed to be one of the few guys on the floor willing to take the shot, to take any shot. You know, Marcus was all in his head. Fabian took that shot, and that was part of like a 7-0 run for him personally, I think. Yeah. That, shot, that shot was huge. Because, you know, Fabian is developing a three-point shot, but he's not a three-point shooter consistently yet. So him to take it and make it from the top of the key, I think it kind of lifted the spirits of the team. For sure. I think that showed kind of that senior leadership, and it was that poise that the team needed, especially after Jerome went out of the game. They, they seemed kind of lost, and I think that three-pointer kind of calmed them down a little bit. And certainly it bought it – bought, the team time for Jerome to be able to come back in without it being like the game wasn't out of hand. Um, Greg Tamer, do you have anything more to add? I was going to say, um, let's not forget that Tremel Mark was one of those people that were kind of overlooked um, this season. I think on our behalf as well, uh, at the beginning of our predictions and when he was added to the squad. But I guess it's been interesting to see how he has kind of stepped up as a freshman. 
Yeah, and to add on to that, um, somebody that I've definitely been keeping my eye on um, that's really impressed me throughout this whole season and even part of last season is Justin Gorham. Um, his his availability to be able to get boards and, and just be a team player, glue guy, and, and just worry about the wins and losses uh, more than just his actual stat sheet. He's been um, remarkable on the boards and, and, like I said, just a part of that relentless culture that we have in Houston. So, um Definitely um, somebody that I was looking at um, during that records game. I'm still, you know, fighting throughout it. And Chris, I'll leave you with the final word for this segment, but Tamer mentioned Tremont Mark. I think kind of people kind of forgot about him a little bit since he, he struggled during the season after, I mean, he had that good start to the season. He had an impressive, he had a few games where he had impressive scoring numbers. And then when that COVID break happened, um, Really, he was a player that, that it was. You could tell the most that it was struggling once they came back. He yeah, he struggled probably the most after the COVID layoff. It took him a while to really get into any rhythm whatsoever, because pre-COVID, he went to the line I think seven eight times a game. He was scoring from the line from the floor. The future looked bright. Then COVID hit, and it took him a, a good while to bounce back mentally and physically. Uh, February was a bit of a struggle, but. The last few weeks, he's gotten back to his pre-COVID performances, and his effectiveness is going to be key uh, versus Syracuse. And Andy, you heard it, and he's told the media many times lately that Tremont Mark is a special player, is a special talent, mm-hmm. and when he gets more minutes, everybody will see that. Yeah. Coming right up on Pod Slime Jamma, we'll discuss more about Houston and Syracuse. We'll preview that matchup and what to expect. And later on in the show, we'll talk more about the NCAA tournament as a whole. What Sweet 16 teams remaining could pose a problem, not just for Houston, but for the other top seeds remaining in the NCAA tournament. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we are back with Pots and Majama presented by Apollo Media. I'm Tamer Knight and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Greg Goods and Andy Yanez. And we have a very special guest, Christopher Gardner from the Houston Round Ball Review. I mean, the Cougars are dancing to the Sweet 16. We kind of talked about it in the first segment, but... In this next segment, we're going to talk exclusively about their next matchup on Saturday against Syracuse. Um, Christopher Gardner, what what are your thoughts against um, Syracuse, and what are some of the challenges you think U of H may face uh, upon this competition? The challenges, and anybody who follows college basketball, Syracuse's 2-3 zone. Syracuse's defense, their zone defense, it's what they play. It's what they play – 95% 95% of the time, and Houston is not used to going against zone defenses. They don't – they're a man-to-man team. They practice against man-to-man defenses. We've seen them struggle in games against man-to-man, but we've definitely seen them struggle against zones. So it's going to be matchups. We know Houston is not known for being a first-shot team. They got to crash the boards. That's going to be a key. Teams that play zones do not rebound well out of their zones. So it may come down to the shots Houston does get. If they can make them, great on the first shot. But if they miss them, they have to crash those offensive boards. 
Yeah, Chris, something that's kind of stood out to me, well, at least from today, from today's availability that we're recording this on a Wednesday, something that both Kelvin Sampson and Justin Gorham talked about, they, they kind of seem prepared for, for them to have to rebound a lot and kind of crash the boards. And they kind of mentioned it, like they're kind of, that's obviously they're not going to give up too give away too much heading into the matchup, but it seems like they're preparing for a physical game against Syracuse. And Syracuse, their opponents are rebounding by two a game. So that's partly because of Syracuse's zones and being out of, you know, you're boxing out, you're not boxing out of man, you're boxing out of space. Mm-hmm. But they also get more steals. So Houston got to take care of the basketball. Syracuse blocks more shots, I think two more blocks per game than their opponents. So Syracuse is longer at different positions up front than U of H. If the Cougars have one of their hot shooting games from three, they're going to win by double digits. If they have one of their cold shooting games from two and three, it's going to be a struggle. And Andy, you know, I said to you last week, it's all about matchups. I had Houston losing in the Sweet 16 to West Virginia. Mm-hmm. But now they're playing Syracuse. It's going to be hard. This, this is a really a tough matchup for Houston because they don't have dead-eye shooters. One dead-eye shooter that they, they do have, I'm curious how much he'll play, is Cameron Tyson. If he plays and it can send him in the corner and Syracuse plays off of him, if he's hot from three, he could bust out that zone wide open. We'll see how much he plays. And Kevin Sampson being the coach that he is, we kind of heard this over the last few years, despite how his team is shooting, he always encourages them to keep shooting. Um, that, that goes for any of the players. And so I have to agree that, you know, if they don't have a good night shooting, this is not going to be a good game for U of H. Yeah, Chris, it's funny. We touched on that, how their offense kind of lacks, di- uh, yeah, lacks diversity. And that's something that yeah, you could tell. It was it was coming back to bite them against Rutgers. If their shots aren't falling, I think it's going to be difficult. But it's interesting to see. For what me, what makes it interesting is how they're, they're kind of coming into this game with a mindset like they're going to go after every rebound. So, obviously, that's kind of their identity. That's what they're a lot on to win, but you, you talk about how they don't play against zone often. One of the teams that does play zone, at least in the American Athletic Conference, is Tulane. And they, they saw a little bit of that in the in the first round of the American Athletic Conference tournament. And you mentioned Cameron Tyson. He, he uh, Houston put them or put him in the game. But I think the, the problem with Tyson is it, it, he's kind of the player where He's obviously he's a streaky shooter, but if the first or second shot don't fall, it kind of seems like he's out of a, a rhythm and, and doesn't really get it going. What do you think, Chris? His 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 goal on the team is to break zones. He's mm-hmm. a he's, he's a bad three point shooter, um, but he's not the best defender. So his man to man defense keeps him off the floor probably more than some fans would prefer, but. He is the best three-point shooter. And one, you know, I am not a Hall of Fame coach like Kelvin Sampson. (laughs) But one thing, and he said it, you know, Wednesday in the national media session, they will have an offense, a zone offense to go against Syracuse's defense. They're going to practice it. They're going to plan for it, prepare for it, all those things. I'm curious to see how they're going to, what they're going to do. 
because a couple ways to beat a zone, you can penetrate the defense, make the zone collapse around you, then you kick it out. But if you kick it out to your teammate, wide open shot, that teammate still misses. It was a great set, great play, but you missed. <laughs> so it's, that's what it's going to come down to. If Marcus Sasser needs to become the good shooting Marcus Sasser from three-point range. If he's the one that's been struggling for the last month or so, it's going to be real tough to win this game. Yeah, I think another player that's going to play a key role against Syracuse is going to be Fabian White and really all the forwards. Because another thing they, they could do against the zone is kind of have a big man lay or hover around the paint, not the paint, the top of the key by the free throw line area just under the three-point line. And, Agreed. And, and also against that, excuse me, Andy, also the short corner against the zone, it's, it's um, near the baseline. There's open spots there as well. Fabian is a dead-eye shooter from those, well, you know, pre-injury with dead-eye from, from that spot. So I think he'll be a key. But now we're getting back to Tremont Mark. Tremont Mark is one of those guys who can penetrate the, the zone. Now you just need to get Tremont to penetrate and pass instead of penetrating, going too far and try to shoot over four people. That's what he'll see when he, they collapse on him in the, when he attacks the basket. Greg, Tamer, I have a question for both of y'all. I'll go to you first, Tamer. But who do you guys think is going to be the X factor for Houston in this Houston-Syracuse matchup? Um, I'm going to have to say either – well, I would say Dejon Jarrell, but it just depends on that hip and how he's been rehabbing uh, in the last week. So I think with him having a good night – and being 100% healthy or at least 75% healthy, I think he's going to be a good matchup for Syracuse. Yeah, Dejan for sure. Um, Greg, excited to cut you off before real quick, but uh, I believe Dejan is going to talk to reporters on Thursday morning, Correct. Houston time. Yep. Well, well, he'll probably give an update about how he's feeling, but uh, I believe he's going to like us. So a six-day layoff between Sunday and the Saturday they do play. I think... Chris, can you talk? Can you tell us a little bit more about hit pointers? How how painful is that? Extremely painful. Oh my gosh, it's extremely painful. And Dejan uh, is not the heaviest player in the world, so he's 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 skin and bones. So you know, there's not a lot of padding around his hips, but he's tough. He's a very tough player. He's he's got enough time. I think he'll be as close to. 90, 95, 100% for Saturday's game as you can be with the, these six days off. So he'll be fine. He's going to play. It's just a question of will Houston, how many threes will Houston make? How many rebounds will they get on the shots that they miss? And how many assists that they get as well? Yeah, and I'll be interested to see what kind of update Dejan gives. And you know, for whoever's listening to this, be sure to follow Meyer, Chris Gardner's Twitter account will be sure to have updates to whatever Dejan says on Thursday morning. A shameless plug there, but uh, Greg, I'll get back to you. What, and you, you'll get the final say in this segment, what player is your X factor for Houston in this matchup? Um, if I had to say uh, one player, I would definitely say, um, I'll definitely have to say uh, Fabian White and, and all the forwards, especially Justin Gorham, um, because I think even if the shots are not falling, uh, my biggest factor is the rebounding matchup and, and who's winning the second chance points battles between um, um, Syracuse and Houston. Um, so 
whenever our first option is not going well or if Marcus Sass is not dropping the way we expect it to, um, what, what's the rebound game looking like? What's the turnover battle looking like? Um, that That's what I'll be looking at for the X Factor and seeing who's going to speed up the game or who's going to slow it down for us. Coming right up on Pod Slamajama, presented by Apollo Houston, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament at large, the other remaining teams in the Sweet 16, what's going on in the other bracket of the Midwest region, and the rest of the brackets as a whole, Gonzaga, Baylor, all coming up on Pod Slamajama, presented by Apollo Houston. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And we're back with our last and final segment of Pod Slam Jamma, presented by Apollo Media. We're going to just talk the... NCAA tournament at large. I know we have teams like Oregon State, Villanola, and Baylor uh, still in the tournaments. But one team in particular that Mr. Gardner mentioned last week that everyone should be aware of is uh, Loyola Chicago. So, Chris, what are your thoughts um, about Loyola Chicago and their matchup on Saturday against Oregon State? Big man, Cameron Crudwig is old school. He's an old-school post player, gets it done in, in the post. He can pass on the perimeter. I just love his game. I just love seeing big guys score in the post. They seem to be a dying breed in basketball, pro and college, but he's getting it done. And Loyola's defense is, I think Andy termed it this way, and it's true, is elite. Mm-hmm. Their defense is elite. So their matchup against Oregon State should be a fun one. I think Loyola is the favorite. And, um, you know, yes, I did say they were a team to watch, but I took the uh, wimpy route and still picked Illinois as a top seed to get to the Final Four. Well, <laughs> Loyola took care, of, took care of that. So, but um, Cameron Kerwig, that big man can play. He's one of the top players in the country. Uh, I'm not sure if he was All-American on any team, but he, if not, he should have been. He could have been for sure. Yeah, Chris, I watched that game at Loyola Chicago against Illinois. And like you mentioned, Crutwig, he had a 19-point, 12-rebound, double-double. And one of the things that stood out for for me when I was watching that Loyola and Illinois game was just how elite, and like you mentioned, Chris, that I termed it elite defense. And really why I said that was just how much – how they were kind of swarming and how hard they made it for Illinois whenever they were on offense. And really for Kofi Coburn, he still ended up with a nice stat sheet, 21 points and nine rebounds. But just looking at that game, it never looked like he was comfortable. And I I believe you mentioned it where he was going to struggle. Or I think we were talking about if Houston and Illinois were to meet that you felt that that was a better matchup for Houston just in terms of the way Kofi plays. And watching that game against Loyola, he, he, he got his points, but he had to work hard to get them. And Loyola, um, they, they defend the post similar to how Houston do, does with the double team. And as Coach Sampson and, and Houston described it, as their monster defense of the post players, and that's what they did to Kofi. And there were times he was frustrated. And they didn't, his teammates did not get him the ball enough at times, which always frustrates a big man um, in the post. But those defense is tough. I'm not going to look past Syracuse, but it would be really – Interesting to see a U of H Loyola matchup in the Elite Eight. 
Yeah, it, I think that would be really interesting. And it's, it, do you feel like Loyola was underseeded after watching him play? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no question. I, I think this year, because of COVID, the selection committee really relied on the uh, power, power five schedules and who they played at conference play, which hurt the mid-major teams, the, you know, the non-big boys. So they really relied on conference games, and that's why you saw the Big Ten and the Big 12, I think, combined have, what, 17 of the 68 teams in, in the tournament? And I think the Big Ten has one left in Michigan, and the Big 12 has Baylor, and who else? <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> So I think they really rely too much on conference play this season, which the eye test, I think you should have done more because non-conference games were limited because of COVID. So the smaller schools did not get a chance to play against the, the bigger schools. So they should have really relied on watching the games and seeing the results instead of spending so much time watching the power schools play. One of the other conferences that has done well so far in the tournament has been the Pac-12 Chris, when it comes to UCLA, Oregon, and Oregon State, really, what, what has stood out to you about those teams? How well they've played so far. You know, the Pac-12 has underperformed a lot in basketball the last few years, and I think they have four teams left yeah, out, of the, out of the 16. So, you know, UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon, USC, that's a fourth of the 316 right there, so... Congrats to them, to the school, to the conference. Their defense has kind of surprised people, but their offense as a whole for the conference has really played, done a good job. And Evan Mobley, big man, freshman for USC, seven-footer, offense, defense, a little bit of everything for him. His brother uh, did a great job in the second round. So the Pac-12 has really surprised people and opened up eyes. But a lot of folks, you know, they play so late. Can I get a chance to see him play? Now you're seeing how good they really are. And Chris, another the, uh, the top two teams, obviously, the whole season have been Gonzaga and Baylor. What have you seen from them so far in the first two rounds? I think Baylor is playing like they were pre-COVID. They struggled after they had uh, the COVID issues. It set them back for a while and impacted them defensively, especially. Gonzaga just has so many weapons offensively. They shoot so well from the floor. Um, just, they can beat you inside, beat you outside. They're not a great three-point shooting team, but they have a lot of guys who can make shots one-on-one. So they can break you down, beat you off the dribble, and beat you inside as well. They're just a great team. and I still – I mean, they're the, they're the favorite to win it all. I'm going to stick with them. But um, it's just – you know, it, it's a one-and-done situation. So if a team gets hot – and has a near-perfect game like Villanova did years ago against Georgetown, who everybody thought was perfect, was invincible. It can't happen, but it's going to take a heck of an effort to beat Gonzaga. Tamer, Greg, I'm going to throw it over to y'all. What stood out to you from the first two two rounds of the NCAA tournament? Um, I would say that um, Oral Roberts definitely stuck out to me. Um, definitely loved those Cinderella stories. Also, um, when we talk about Loyola Chicago, they kind of remind me of an old Wichita State team when it comes to um, them being back in the, in the March Madness tournament, uh, tournament making some more noise. 
um, now to become a familiar face and, and everybody knows who Sister Jean is now. Um, I just love um, just seeing all these upsets, man. But at the end of the day, um, definitely somebody that I see in the Final Four is um, Baylor and Gonzaga uh, kind of um, duking it out in, my, uh, in my, uh, my personal opinion. That's what I've seen in these past two rounds. And Tamara, I'll toss it over to you. What stood out to you? What stood out to me um, is Ohio, that game that Ohio uh, won. That was a big game, and I think no one expected them to uh, win or make it that far. So that that was that has been the highlight of my NCAA tournament. Uh, besides uh, watching the <laughs> the replay of Tremon Marks' uh, touchback last week, that's just some really really good luck. I mean, obviously I'm always rooting for Houston, but I'm not going to lie. Like Chris Gardner and all of his older alumni, I was also thinking like, man, the game, they're done. They're, it's over with, you know, maybe next year or maybe another time. But again, that was just a very impeccable play and some really, really, really good um, offensive play. I don't even know what to call it, but that, that was good. <laughs> Yeah, um, Chris talking about it. We, we've all talked about when it, whenever that, for me, whenever Dejon went out and it looked like he was hurt, I thought that's when the game was over. I thought Rutgers was going to really honestly run away with it at that point before Fabian hit those shots. And on a personal note, I'm kind of happy they won because it means I get to go to Indianapolis. And Chris, I, I believe you're going too to cover them in the Sweet 16. Uh, but that, that's just us being personal stuff. But um personal motives but I think really the team that that kind of stood out to me so far has been Gonzaga like you mentioned it and not not just because we've seen it the whole season but it, it, it's kind of translating how dominant they've been they've carried it over and it, you know sometimes we, we saw it in the second round and how especially in the Midwest region the top seeds they struggled in the second round game and Shoot, now one, the one seed is gone, the three seed is gone, the four seed is gone in the Midwest region. Only Houston remains from those top four seeds. And Chris, what I wanted to ask you um, is, do you feel like that it has something to do with just how this season has been, like the COVID season? I think so. I, th I think uh, many of us have underestimated the impact of COVID on teams and players and, and the tournament as a whole because – you don't know how good teams really are because or how much of an impact COVID had on teams, on players. I think the impact the uh, seeding committee did probably could have been better. So some teams probably weren't seeded where they should have been based on the eye test first and foremost. And then some of uh, the, the analytics, the numbers say, well, Chicago is better than an eight seed. So that's part of it. Upsets. I mean, I think we have a 15 seed left, Oral Roberts, a 12 in Oregon State. Um, you got an 11 in Syracuse and 11 UCLA. That's one-fourth of the Sweet 16 right there. So, I mean, it, this is really one of those bizarre seasons. But in the end, I think the favorites will still be in the Final Four, and that's Gonzaga and Baylor. Real quickly, well, before we uh, kind of wrap it up here, we'll go around – We'll kind of do a round table, but for the Sweet 16 and I guess this weekend, Sweet 16 and Elite 8, what is something you're looking forward to this weekend? And we'll start with you, Chris. 
I'm curious to see how um, Houston shoots against Syracuse's zone and how they handle it. If they, if they shoot well, they're going to win by double digits. If they struggle, then it's going to come down to how well they rebound. But I'm looking forward to that. And then another side of that in the Midwest, how big man Crudwick, Cameron Crudwick, does against Oregon State in their size. So that's going to be a fun matchup. Greg, I'll toss it over to you. What are, what are you looking forward to? I'm definitely looking forward to the, the Loyola Chicago and Oregon State matchup, just seeing how that goes. And I'm also looking, uh, keeping my eyes on Oral Roberts in Arkansas and seeing just kind of um, if Oral Roberts can push into the elite eight of uh, they run out of gas um, this coming Saturday. And Tamer, what about you? So I'm going to say the most cliche answer here. Like, I'm really looking forward to the University of Houston making it past the Sweet 16 into the Elite Eight. Um, I think this will be a history for the organization and, I mean, a good way to brag for us alumni, but also um, just for the program in general. I know many people doubted that they would even make it this far. So I feel like if the year for them to make it to the elite eight or the, even the final four, I think if they had the opportunity, um, this 2020, 2021 season would be the time um, basically based on the construct of this team and what they have done so far and how they've kind of proved themselves already, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because, again, as you already mentioned, Syracuse is also a good team, and um, we know that Houston just has to have a good shooting night in order to get this one, but I'm also looking forward to Baylor and Villanova. I don't know why I like Baylor basketball so much, but I do, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do, and they do good pretty much every year, and um, I also like their women's team. So, yeah, I'm also rooting for Baylor. Yeah, I think for me, the, the biggest thing I'll be looking forward to is, like you mentioned, Tamer, it's the, Baylor and Gonzaga. They, they've kind of really been able to move through the first two rounds like they've done for much of the season. I'm, I feel like one of those two teams is going to get tested, whether it's in the Sweet 16 or they, and they advance to the Elite Eight. I feel like they'll get tested for sure, and they'll, they'll kind of be in a closer type of game. And I'm interested to see how – how they respond to that adversity. But um, that's that's pretty much going to do it for us today. Chris, before we leave, this, your chance to plug your, your stuff, man. Appreciate it. As always, I like being part of uh, the, the podcast. And real quick, we always, we're talking about U of H and their offense. They need to do a good job defending Buddy Beheim for Syracuse. Mm-hmm. He's a deep three-point shooter, so they need to do a better job containing him. Um, he shot the ball extremely well the first two games of this tournament. But Houston Round Bar Review, um, been around long as you guys been alive. Been around <laughs> since uh, 1994. Website, HoustonRoundBallReview.com. I'm on Twitter at, at T-H-E-H-R Review. V, some folks say the, H-R Review. So follow me on Twitter. And as Andy stated earlier, I'll probably have uh, some comments, quotes from Dejan and Quentin Thursday for that Thursday uh, press conferences. Yeah, and that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it.
And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculations, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Pod Slamma Jamma. Go Cougs!